And I tell you, the only person you're supposed to fear, it's in Proverbs, you're supposed to fear God. You're not supposed to fear anybody else. And we need people to wake up and stop letting people, stop letting people set their limitations, especially themselves. Welcome to the Influencers Podcast. I'm Scott Young with co-host Dave Donaldson, and we are here to see your life become an influence. You're on the planet to be salt in a world that needs your flavor, light in a world that needs to see darkness dispelled. And we interview interesting people who instruct us and inspire us, and today is going to be incredible. If you watch television from the mid-90s to the 2000s, you couldn't miss Hercules, The Legendary Journeys. And the star is our podcast guest today, Kevin Sorbos. He is 100% Norwegian, Viking blood in his soul. He's a warrior on many fronts, starring in over 80 movies. He is a genuine movie star. He's a creative, an actor, producer, director. Um, His life story is captured in a book he has published called True Strength. Listen to the subtext. My journey from Hercules to mere mortal and how nearly dying saved my life. We're going to talk about that today. Maybe it's his Viking blood, but he is a warrior. His most recent book that he has co-authored with his wife, Sam, True Faith, Embracing Adversity to Live in God's Light. And Kevin, we are so glad that you've given us this time to talk with our influencer family. Thank you so much for joining us. You are an overcomer. Hmm. When you were in the midst of um, worldwide famous Hercules, you suffered three strokes Hmm. that left with paralysis, partial blindness. Can you talk to us about how that event uh, transformed and brought change to your life? Um, yeah, sure. I, it was the end of season five on Hercules. Then the last three months of filming down there is like the last five episodes, six episodes, I think. Um, I was having all kinds of problems with my left shoulder. Um, my, my arm was bugging me. My, my fingers were cold and numb. Um, and I, I, you know, I was doing most of my own stunts, you know, because my ego said that I could. And I love doing it. I'm a, I'm a old, old jock <laughs> from football and basketball and everything. So uh, I just kind of blew it off. And then I came back to the States. Um, to do publicity in my first big budget movie. I did a movie called Call the Conquerors, my first big, mm-hmm. you know, $30 million Universal Studios movie. And uh, Call is the father of Conan, for those people who are fans of that, uh, those books and those comic books. And um, I went, I was on Letterman, Leno, all these talk shows, and I go to New York, and uh, I, I, my arm was on fire. And the, the studio sent a doctor to my uh, hotel room to check on me. His name was Dr. Die. Um, I thought maybe you should change his name. I know it's D-Y-E, but still you're a doctor and that's not a good name for a doctor. So, yeah. but he told me, he said, I think it's, I think it's uh, cardiovascular. And so when mm-hmm. I went back home, my doctor back uh, in Los Angeles at the time, uh, checked that out and he found a lump way up here in my left subclavicle. And he said, I want to get a biopsy on this, which made me a little bit nervous. Before that, I had that biopsy, I went to see my chiropractor. Now in eight years of seeing this guy, he's never cracked my neck. And while I'm laying on the table, I heard a voice go, don't let him crack your neck over and over again, which is really weird. Like I said, he's never cracked my neck because he knows I don't like it. And uh, I hadn't had my neck kept cracked in, a, in 10 years. And uh, well, ultimately he cracked my neck and I suffered a series of strokes, four strokes, actually. Um, I was talking and I knew something, I knew it. I knew what had happened. They rushed me to the hospital. Uh, luckily the voice uh, speech came back. That one just sort of dissolved very quickly, but um, I spent the next four months learning how to walk and balance again. It took me three years to fully recover. Um, I still have a 10% loss of vision in both eyes. I still have some balance issues that most people wouldn't be able to notice. I notice it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've had a pretty good recovery. 
And, uh, you know, I finished the last two seasons of Hercules, but I went from 14 hours a day to one hour a day. And I, um, it, it slowly built up and then it, Andromeda five years and all, all these movies. So obviously I, I've healed, but, um, you know, I, I had some rough talks with God. I've always been a Christian. I've always had faith in my life, but I never needed faith until this happened to me. And, um, it was, it was a rough go. And I, I wanted to call off the wedding with my wife because it was four months after those strokes. And uh, I think some of the best advice I got was, it was from a doctor. He said, don't put your life on hold. And I thought that's an interesting thing to say because I think a lot of new people put their lives on, lives yeah. on hold. And uh, that was huge for me to sort of look at life in a different way. And uh, we did get married, even though it was brutal for me to even to do that. Um, but my wife got the worst part first before we, the you know, pastor even said for better or worse. Yeah. And uh, she was there. She was a rock for me. I mean, because every time I got down, she would say, Kevin, it happened. What are you going to do about it? You know, and I'm a very strong willed person. And I pushed, I did without exaggeration. I probably did five times more than what the doctors told me to do in terms of uh, you know therapy and mm -hmm. exercises. I just pushed myself It wiped me out, but I knew, the jock in me, the no pain, no gain thing, I worked for my brain as well. I had to get my brain to re rewire itself somehow. And um, I didn't want to write the book. My wife bugged me to write the book because the male ego kicked in. I didn't want to show people how weak I'd become, how frail mm -hmm. I'd become. And she said, you know, you don't understand. This book is going to be amazing for people. And she was completely right. Um, when it came out and I started doing book signings, um, I met people of all ages that have had, you know, everybody's got a story, you know, whether they're yeah. a 20 year old kid in a car crash or an 80 year old that had a heart attack or whatever it may be. And people said, your book made me stop feeling sorry for myself and made me start pushing myself to get better. And um, that's what the book's really about. How do you get past the roadblocks in life instead of blaming God, blaming life, the world, your family, friends, the government, whatever. Uh, the reality, you got to look in the mirror and say, OK, what am I going to do? And she gave me a mantra. She said every day I want you to say I'm getting better. I'm getting stronger and said every day. So you believe it for that day. And uh, mm -hmm. it was it was huge and instrumental. I mean, I don't know how I would have survived without our constant nagging, but it worked pretty well. <laughs> and in your most recent book, True Faith, and you mentioned that you are a man of faith. Yep. At, at what point in your journey did you come to faith and what brought you to faith? You know, I've always been a Christian. I grew up in Minnesota, small town Minnesota, typical Norwegian, going to a Lutheran church, you know, St. John's Lutheran Church. I grew up in a little town called Mound, Minnesota, which is on the western shore of Lake Minnetonka, about 20 miles west of Minneapolis. We were, we were famous uh, living on Lake Minnetonka for being the home of Tonka Toys. That was a big industry in my little town of 7,000 people. And, um, you know, it, it was church all the time. But I had two things happen to me as a young teenager uh, that was huge for me. One was the youth pastor, Pastor Lee. This guy was awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. Wednesday nights, we had uh, in the upper level of church, they to put the curtain apart for two of the Sunday school rooms. And, um, you know, we had bean bags and we had, you know, beat up couches and stuff, but it was all for teenagers um, from seventh grade through, through senior, high, uh, senior high school students. And it was called The Room. And The Room was a place for it to hang out and talk to this guy. He was 23, 24 years old. So he was this cool guy that we could kind of relate to more than this old pastor I had who scared the heck out of me all the time. Um, <laughs> this guy was like, you know, he sort of talked our language and he talked to it in very very modern times, uh, very, you know, today times, I don't say modern, but just today times. And um, uh, when I was 13, we took a field trip to uh, St. Paul Fairgrounds. And St. Paul was one of the headquarters where uh, Reverend Billy Martin had uh, his, you know, he would work out of there. Um, 
and he spoke at the fairgrounds outside. It was a hot August night. It was about 250,000 people. It was amazing. And I did something I normally wouldn't have done. Um, he has all his volunteers, as most people do when they go on these, you know, these, these the different sermons around the country, these people that are, um, you know, so well famous and well known. They have all these volunteers to talk to you after uh, the main speaker speaks. And he said, if you want to come up, I have some wonderful people you can talk to, you can pray to, whatever. And I went up and that's something I normally wouldn't have done. And I got there, I was sitting on the grass and I'm talking to this guy and he was probably 30-ish years old. So I was 13. So he's like a really old guy. And um, all of a sudden a hand went on my head and I turned around and looked up and there was the Reverend Billy Graham. He had his security around him, obviously, but his head was perfectly just blocking the, the full moon behind him. So it was like these rays coming out of his head, like a goosebumps talking about it. it was just, yeah. And I told that story in the Larry King show. And uh, the... Um, Billy Graham people got a hold of it and they got, I got a call from them saying, Hey, uh, chicken soup for the soul is doing the only hardcover book they've ever done. And it's going to be for Billy Graham, 101 stories of how Billy Graham has touched people's lives. And, uh, they said, would you write that story that you told on Larry King? So I got to write my three page story and I'm in that book. And then they called me and said, would you be the guy that goes around and, uh, does the PR for it? Cause he's well into his nineties. He can't really get around anymore. And I was like honored. So, um, obviously it was years, you know, it was, it was, it was right, just right after the Hercules years. So, um, it was, it was amazing. And, uh, that, that it was huge for me, huge for me in terms of meeting someone as compelling and as charismatic as the Reverend Graham. And, um, I've become very good friends with his son, Franklin through the years as well. So, uh, you know, just those things just kind of stuck with me. So I, I've never been a person that stopped believing. It's always been a part of my life. So good. That is good. Uh, Kevin, uh, what's it like to be a conservative Christian in Hollywood? Uh, I got to tell you a little story. I used to work for Pat Boone. That's great. Much, That's much, a dear friend of mine. Yeah, I know. Much, Pat. much, I was much, much younger, and I had a front row seat to how God used him in Hollywood. Yeah. And how many celebrities, you know, during their darkest time, they knew they could go to him. Mm hmm and uh, what an impact. And uh, you're, you're also part of that heavens, you know, walk of fame. Uh, but uh, that's not easy, is it? I mean, what's it like? Well, um, no, in, in fact, uh, being a Christian in the conservative in Hollywood is like being a double leper, you know? So um, <laughs> it was, you know, with, with, with the advent of social media and Facebook and Twitter and all these things, I started posting things and saying things. Nothing angry, just the truth, simply the truth. And um, my wife, she goes, you know, Hollywood's probably not going to like that. And I said, well, what? No, I'm, not, I'm not posting hate towards anybody. I'm not. She goes, I know, but you know the way they are. Sure enough, about uh, 11, 12 years ago, my agent manager I'd been with for 20 years, both these people, called me into their office. I thought it was like an intervention when they both called me in because they're never in the same place together. And they said, we can't work with you anymore and the studios don't want to work with you anymore. And I was like, what? He said, well, it's because you're Christian, conservative. And I'm, I'm going, that's amazing to me because this is the industry. As you know, Hollywood, they scream for tolerance all the time. Be tolerant of the movies we put out, you know, the, the agenda that we have, uh, you know, freedom of speech. But, you know, it's a one way street with them. And um, it's, it, it was sad. And I told him, I said, this is really amazing to me. That, that we are even at. So I'm like really the first cancel culture victim before that even became a term over the last five years. This happened back in 20, 2011. Um, and then, but I love the business. I love movies. I love 
being on the set. I love, I love the creation of things and the working with people. So I formed Sorbo Studios. People can go to sorbostudios.com and check it out. It's my wife and I. It's our, it's our website together. Uh, all kinds of information on there. Please sign up and we'll keep you up to date with things coming down the pipeline. But um, it, was, it was weird. But I, I, you know, God opened a whole other door for me. Uh, and I think that was one of the reasons why I survived the strokes I had. I think God had a plan for me. It just took me a while to realize what the plan was going to be. And this is the road now. Yeah, I'm not doing, I don't have that big Hollywood crew anymore. They don't want me to do any more television shows. They want, so I just started doing movies that Hollywood used to do. Movies that had hope and love, uh, mm-hmm. faith, redemption, laughter. And you, you don't see that in the, whether it's cable or network or movies. You, just, you see the anger and the agenda Hollywood has to promote their hate, their divisiveness. And I just said, I'm not going to, I don't want to be part of that. I want to do movies that have a positive message. And so that's really kind of the road I've been on for this last 11, 12 years. But uh, this has been my calling, you know, we're called to harvest and this is the way that I'm, I'm, I was meant to do it. So you talked about the cancel culture, the, yeah. it's really the pressure of the world and somehow you have a tenacity, a persistence, a, um, it, you're indomitable. Maybe it's that Viking spirit. I don't know. But where do you find the strength to push back and to just to shine and be an influence for what's in your soul in a world that tries to conform you to something else? Well, I did a movie um, that Sean Hannity funded. came out in theaters about four or five years ago called Let There Be Light. It's a wonderful movie. My wife wrote the script. I directed it. I starred in it as well. Um, it did very well in theaters. And uh, I, to me, that's, that's, that's the thing is let there be light. You know, it's the first thing God Mm. says in the Bible and really evil in the darkness. They hate the light. They run back to the darkness, run back into their caves. And uh, we need people not to be afraid to speak out. I, I get on movie sets all the time, almost every time, especially the last five or six years where I get, whether it's an actor, a camera operator, a makeup artist, wherever it may be, they come up to me quietly with no one else around. Like we're doing a drug deal or something. They say, Hey, Thanks for being a voice for us. And I'm going, well, be a voice for yourself. You know, don't be afraid. So many people are afraid. And I, I, I think I'm here to try to wake up the lions. I want to wake up the lions. There's a lot of lions out there that don't, don't want to come out of that den. I said, please come out. Don't be afraid. If you lose friends, they weren't your friends to begin with. I still have atheist friends. I have, I have agnostic friends. I have um, liberal friends. And uh, they just don't believe the way I believe, but we skid along fine because really they're good people. Not every atheist and every, you know, uh, conservative or liberal is a bad person, but you know, they're the bad ones in those groups get all the press time, unfortunately. And I look at what the media is doing and I mean, fear is government's favorite weapon. And we saw that played a big time in COVID, mm-hmm. you know, don't go anywhere, stay inside. Don't go outside and work out. Don't be in the sun. Don't, oh, don't, you can't go to church. You can go to the strip club. You can go to a liquor store, of course. Uh, but you know, I, I just look at this, the, the, the insanity of the things they said, I started flying pretty quickly after the whole COVID thing and airplanes were kind of not that crowded at the beginning. And I laughed at them when they said, we got to get on the plane six feet apart with our masks on. I go, but I'm about to sit in economy and there's going to be 29 people closer than six feet to me. So there's no COVID in the seats. Is that what you're saying? Only as I walk on the plane. I mean, the stupidity of the way they controlled everybody and so many people just adhere to it. We left um, California almost five years ago. We live in Florida, and uh, it, I love it here. I look at this as the free states because we don't have the insanity that's going on. I had so many buddies back in California saying, you can't believe what they're doing in the state. And I said, it's just it's, it's insane what they're doing, and it's about control. 
And as I said, fear is their favorite weapon. I tell you, the only person you're supposed to fear, and it's in Proverbs, you're supposed to fear God. You're not supposed to fear anybody else. And we need people to wake up and stop letting people, stop letting people set their limitations, especially themselves. Wow, man, what a word. Uh, we noticed that you participate in God's Not Dead. Troy DeHone, a very dear friend, uh, he works with us at CityServe. Sure. Uh, actually, he's going to join us in uh, Kiev, Ukraine, where wow. we're working. And so, yeah, okay. just uh, really a godly man. Uh, what was it like uh, participating in God's Not Dead? Did you have any backlash? Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm going to back up. I'm going to back up uh, two years before that. Um, a friend of mine sent me a, a movie that he just wanted me to read. He's a dear friend of mine. And he said, hey, what do you think of this, this script? I read the script and I call him up and I said, who's playing Pastor Ben? The movie's called What If? And um, it's the same writers that wrote God's Not Dead, by the way, the same two guys. They got a new movie out coming out right now called Nefarious. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did Unplanned as well um, on, on the abortion issue. And I read the script and I said, I said, he told me the other actors and I said, no, 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 I'm playing Pastor Ben in this movie. And he, he said, man, I can't afford you. And by the way, that person who sent me the script and directed it, his name is Dallas Jenkins, and he's doing a little thing mm -hmm. called The Chosen right now. So, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, so I read the script, and I said, there's no way. He said, I'm doing it. He goes, I, it's a low budget. I said, Dallas, pay me the lowest that SAG says you pay on a budget like that. He goes, you're kidding. I said, no. I've done over 80 movies. It's in my top three. It is better than God's Not Dead. But here's the problem with independent movies. God's Not Dead was an anomaly. $2 million movie makes $140 million. That's crazy with no advertising budget. And that's the problem with independent movies. There's so many good indies out there that nobody ever sees because we don't have, uh, without exaggerating, you look at uh, Jurassic Park, you look at Avengers, you look at uh, Avatar, Pirates of the Caribbean, they have $300 million budgets, plus $100 million more to promote it. Right? So you, every football game you watch, every soap opera you watch, you see the trailer over and over again. We don't have that on a $3 million movie. That's catering budget on those movies. So we're fighting that battle all the time and uh, we need word of mouth out there, you know? And so what if to me, I highly recommend it to people. They go to Sorbo Studios and get an autographed copy if they want or go online, some up to whatever. It's a amazing movie. It's just so well done, so well written. It's, it was Pure Flix. It was the first Pure Flix movie I did. And now to get to your question in a roundabout way, um, we're actually going to backtrack a little bit because who funded that movie was Jerry Jenkins, who wrote the Left Behind books with Tim LaHaye. But Tim LaHaye passed years ago, but um, I just directed a movie called Left Behind Rise of the Antichrist that was in theaters this past January and February. So please go to leftbehindmovie.com and pick up, you know, streaming or pick up a DVD from that as well. It was a wonderful movie to be part of it six months after the rapture. Now I'm going to get to God's Not Dead. Um, when he approached me with God's Not Dead, Pure Flix, they said, we don't, we'd love you to do this part. But we don't know if you're comfortable with it. I read it. I said, are you kidding me? I love this. I joke all the time that I played a, an atheist college professor. And I say, I'm sorry, that's redundant. I played a college professor. That kind of covers everything right there. But um, I love that role because I've seen guys like that. I've seen guys that they're, they're on these cable shows. They're, they're like presidents of, the, of, the, of an atheist club. And they're so angry about nativity scenes. that well, They get them so angry. And I go, how do you get so angry about something you don't believe in? You know, and why, why do you get a say that you're able to take these nativity scenes down, these Christians, whatever crosses up in somebody's land or something like that. There's 80 million homes out there that are offended by that. If you're offended, we're offended too. 
So why don't we just be all offended together? But you guys can put up your satanic whatever you're doing. You got enough in the, going on in movies and TV already. Let us. Why can't we enjoy that? But our country, it's weird what's going on in our country right now. And uh, I'm just trying to fight back. But I love playing that role because what I loved about it was there's redemption for that character. And I, I, I thought it was it was so well written and I enjoyed that part. And I get stopped. It used to be Hercules and Andromeda. I, most of the time now through airports, hotel lobbies, restaurants, whatever, I get stopped by people saying, we want more movies like you're doing in Soul Surfer and Let There Be Light. God's not that. Please make more movies like that. So there's a hunger out there. But how do I get it out there? I, I need an app that goes to every religious leader and every and people like you that you guys can watch the screener and then tell everybody to watch it. Because, uh, you know, I, I still get stopped by people saying, hey, I just saw What If. Or I just saw Abel's Field. You know, I did Abel's Field eight years ago. So I'm glad that eventually people get around to it. But how do we get out there right away so people know these things are out there? Unless you have that big power, universal or, you know, paramount money behind you. You know, it's just it's tough. But uh, I'm not giving up. I'm still plugging away. You said that you you want to wake up lions. <laughs> Who are these lions that you want to wake up and what do you want to wake them up to? I want to wake up people like me because I know they're out there. You know, I always go to our Robert Frost from The Road Less Travel. I think uh, I think you guys are walking The Road Less Travel. I know I am. Whether we get attacked, I, every time I post anything, Facebook took me down. I had over four million followers. Took me down two years ago for posting the truth. If I said those same things today, just two and a half years later, it's been proven what I said was was fact. You know, I I posted on Twitter recently. I said I need more conspiracy theories because mine keep coming true. But to get back to a road less traveled, certainly Jesus walked the road less traveled. And he even says in the Bible, it says that you will be, you know, you'll be attacked. You'll be looked at like a crazy fool for being believing in God and believing in Jesus. But I want to turn that road less traveled into a super highway. And that's something that I think we all need to do to make that happen. And I'm going to keep plugging away and I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing. I, I don't do it with a angry heart. I don't, I just, I do it with, it's, it's, I get sad sometimes to see what's happening in our country and happening in our world. And um, we're at a tipping point and we got, we, we have to fight the good fight. We have to fight with the same energy that that other side does, but with not their anger and hate, but we have to have a much more, uh, the churches need to work together. So many churches don't work together. I see churches going woke right now. When I do my speaking events, I know there are pastors in there. And I say, you need to remember you work for God, not government. And because you, you, you guys see, too, what's going on in churches. My pastor is still Pastor Rob McCoy. He's a great guy. He's out of Thousand Oaks, California, where we used to live. And um, uh, he works a lot with Charlie Kirk and Turning Point USA. And he opened up two weeks after that 15-day shutdown, you know, complete shutdown for 15 days, which turned into three years. And uh, he opened up and got fined constantly. But people around the world heard about this guy and started paying his fines. And then he went to court and won his court, won his court case. And uh, God bless him for that. I mean, we got a church here in, in Florida but at uh, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, which is 11 o'clock in, uh, in Thousand Oaks, California. We watch the live feed of his sermon uh, every Sunday. So we get a double dose on Sundays. And we'll, we'll stand and sing like we're actually there and stand when he reads out of the Bible and uh, it's just great. He's got a great quote that when I met him 14 years ago, he said, I'm not afraid to make my uh, to work my congregation down to a manageable size. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give Scott any ideas. There, <laughs> <laughs> so you, you here's a recent tweet that you tweeted. Uh oh, 
three words. He is risen. Mm -hmm. What's that all about? The tomb is empty, guys. The tomb is empty. I've, I've got, um, I've got three documentaries now that I've done in Israel, and I'm about to go back again in May. We're taking a group of 80 people. Okay. Um, for those who want to join us next year, May of 2024, go to sorboisraeltrip.com. Uh, I think we're already like 50 or 60% filled up uh, 14 months from now. But uh, my wife and I took a group back in uh, 2019, and it's out now on uh, Salem. Salem is, is airing it. It's called E-Religious Nation, and we taped... Our journey walking in the footsteps of Jesus is what we called it. But I'd gone about six months earlier with John Lennox. Now, for those out there who don't know John Lennox, he's, he's an apologist. He's a retired math professor from Oxford University. And he's brilliant. And he's debated the great atheists of the world like Singer and Dawkins and Hitchens. And I went three weeks in Oxford, England with him, walking around all the stories. We put in all these great debates that he's had, clip it here and there. And then we went two weeks into Israel. And... I call it, it's a called against the tide and it's proving God in a world of science. And I call it apologetics for dummies like me. Cause I know a lot of people feel ill-equipped to, to really sort of, you know, defend their faith and why they have the faith. And it's just, he's just a wonderful man. And I just finished another one that's going to come out this fall that I shot last May. Um, and we spent uh, three weeks through archeological digs looking uh, through our, to search for the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle, how it moved around during that time in Israel. And that's called the Quest for the Throne. And that's going to be uh, out probably around October, November. And I love doing documentaries. It's, it really, I've done about eight or nine of them now, and it's just something I've really become part of. So I, I hope people will, will jump on board there to just get educated that way. And they're, they're wonderful documentaries. They're so well done, so well production value. And, you know, you get all these scholars and people that know a heck of a lot more than I do. I'm just there sort of be on camera, but also be the narration, sort of be the guide to bring you around. But, you know, these guys are the experts on it. So I'm, I'm learning from it just as much as anybody else is watching these things. But I hope people will check those out because they're, they're wonderful. And I got to throw in another one that was the number one documentary. This is amazing. Two years ago, the number one documentary for five months on Amazon was, uh, one that I, that I narrated for, um, Ingenuity Films, it's Brent Miller's company. They do amazing documentaries. This deals with the second coming. It's called Before the Wrath, and it's phenomenal. I just did the follow-up to it that's coming out later this year that deals with the Last Supper, and I love this title. It's called Eating with the Enemy. Mm. I was just going to ask you, you know, we're going to have a lot of young emerging leaders uh, that, mm. that listen to our podcast. You know, what would you say to them uh, they're looking to enter this field. And first of all, what would you say to them? Second, looking back on your life, ministry, career, what's the one thing that you wish you had known sooner? I wish I would have invested in Netflix when it was $5 a share. Because... Um, then I'd be able to fund my own movies because that's always been the biggest obstacle is to find, you know, like I said, $3 million. Like I said, it sounds like a lot, but it's not that much in terms of making movies. But um, I think I said it earlier. I said, I, I really think don't let anyone set your limitations. Too many people let fear rule their lives. And uh, when I was in college, I had two summers in college where I, I'm a golf nut, as you can see. Um, love golf. Um, I used to caddy. 
it's a game my father introduced to me. And my father was my best man at my wedding. He passed 10 years ago already, but I miss him every day. He was an awesome guy. Hmm. Um, I, I would ask these very wealthy guys at this private country club. I didn't grow up with any money. My dad was a school teacher with five kids. But I never felt without because I had very loving parents. I had a very amazing teachers at that time. And I mean, let's not get into public education. That's something you should have my wife on to talk about. Um, but uh, I, I asked all these guys, how did you become successful in your life? Every single one of them said, oh, I failed, Kevin. And then I failed again. Oh, and by the way, I kept failing for another 10 years, but I didn't give up. And I always tell people I'm a 13-year overnight success in Hollywood because I learned a lot by that. I had a lot of failure. A lot of, because in Hollywood, it's all about rejection. You know, everybody's an actor. Everybody's, you know, so it's, you're too tall, you're too old, you're too young, you're too short, whatever it may be. There's always excuses not to book you for a job, whether it's a commercial or a TV show, a movie, whatever it may be. And you got to fight your way through that. Well, I, all that stuff did to me was make me push harder. Just made me, it just fueled the fire for me. Um, I knew at the age of 11, I was going to be an actor. I knew I was. And I pushed myself and pushed myself and said, this is what I'm going to do. And uh, I just always, I always loved it, you know, but uh, I, I think people give up way too easily. Don't give up. You're going to have failure. That's life. You learn from, I learned that failure and no are positive words. Like quit using them as a crutch. So many people fail once and they just give up and they go, oh my gosh, government, please take care of me. That's what our government wants. I, do you realize our government right now is worse than the British monarchy was that started our revolutionary war? There's more control over our lives than ever. And every time they get in office, they look at another way to take money away from you. Another way to, and, and they do it. It's inch by inch. And people go, well, it's only that one thing. It's only been that one thing for the last 50 years. And they just keep adding on to it. Now they, it's not an inch more. It's miles they've taken from us. Uh, we've lost our freedom of speech. You know, it's, it, you better be careful. We now live in a world that you are guilty until proven innocent. That's not the way that was supposed to work. It's not the way it was set up initially. And, but that right now, anybody can say anything about anyone. It doesn't have to be true, but they can destroy people's lives. And I, I tell people right now, we, we got to change that narrative. We got to keep fighting. We can't, people, people got to get strong and not give up. It's as simple as that. Do not let fear control your life. So Kevin, you talked about your dad and you also are a dad. You've got two sons, you've yep. got a daughter, you and Sam are raising this family and away from all the public stuff that you do hmm. privately. What is the legacy that you want to pass on to your kids? What do you want to be remembered for years from now? Well, I hope the way, sort of pretty much the way I was raised is the way of raising them. You know, have respect. Um, fight hard. Don't expect handouts. Make your own way in life. Uh, when you make a decision that you're, you're, you're going to do something uh, in your life, just make sure it's a positive thing, not a negative thing. Um, you know, they're, they're great kids. We, we started homeschooling when my oldest was only in second grade. And my wife's a homeschool advocate. She travels the country and uh, speaks, speaks on homeschooling. Her, she's got a number of books. Uh, one of my favorites is a book that title is They're Your Kids, just to remind you of that. And I think that one of the blessings of COVID is people woke up to how horrible the public education system is. Now two million, two million more homes are now homeschooled. And uh, I think that's that's wonderful because... You see what's going on in our public schools. You see what's going on in our colleges and this indoctrination. And I, I never had teachers like that. I'm sure you didn't either. When I was in school, they taught the math. It was math class. They taught history. It was a history class. They didn't tell me how to vote. They didn't tell me how to not to believe in God or to believe in God. They taught what they were there to teach. They don't do that anymore. It's, uh, it's, it's, 
we need to, I think, get rid of public schools and certainly don't send your kid to college. Be very picky in college kids because I'm telling you, the majority of them are not good places to go. And so, uh, you know, I, they're, they're, they're solid, smart kids. They're very good. They're very uh, motivated. And uh, I'm very proud of them. They're, they're great, awesome kids. And we want, to, we want to thank you for being an influence, for being a voice, a strong voice. And uh, we just appreciate the time you've taken with us. And you've given so many little, hey, check this out, check this out. I hope that they're going to put these in the show notes because you've given a lot of resource that people would be able to connect to. And we love that. And I hope people have listened uh, to the names that have influenced Kevin. Uh, pastor Lee, that youth pastor that was an influence in his life. Yep. Uh, his pastor in California, Pastor Rob McCoy, uh, Bill, even Billy Graham. They've passed something into Kevin. Kevin's passing it on now to the world. And that's what God calls all of us to be, to be influencers, to be light in a dark world, yep. to bring hope where there's hopelessness. And so I thank you all for listening to this amazing episode with uh, Hercules. <laughs> I'm okay with that. Great, <laughs> with, with a great actor and a great dad and uh, just a great American. We really appreciate you taking this time with us. Hey, please continue, my friends, to be an influence where you are for the Influencers Podcast. For Dave Donaldson, I'm Scott Young. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Influencers Podcast on the Charisma Podcast Network. If you enjoy our content, we would love for you to subscribe and have the opportunity to tune in to future podcasts. You can follow us on all social media platforms at the Influencers Podcast Official. You can stay up to date, hear more inspiring content, and unlock your full potential as an influencer. Remember to use your influence to create lasting change that draws the world closer to Jesus. Jesus.